following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. So we're finishing up this sermon series, Light and Love, which is the, uh, the book of 1 John. And I got to say, as your pastor, I'm a little concerned at how we sat today talking about light and love, that we've got like most people in the darkness and fewer in the light. So I don't know what that says about Narrative Church. I'm, we'll see what happens, right? But we're talking today about this final chapter. We've talked about how in the book of First John, John writes this book to basically say, hey, pay attention. You can live in the world, which again, we've talked about, is not just um, the world bad, everything spiritual good, but instead is saying, when you follow your own selfishness, when you follow that sinful self, that's the ways of the world. And we've walked through all of this, and as John closes it up, he brings it to this idea of the water, the blood, and the Spirit. I have had some strange opportunities in the past five years that I never imagined myself having, which is that I got to write two books for our church body's publishing house. Never in my life did I think I would hold a book that I wrote. My level of imposter syndrome as I wrote these books was like, Someone trusted me to do this. It's kind of like how I feel about my mortgage sometime. Like, hey, some bank trusted me, a foolish 34-year-old with a mortgage. That was dumb. And so I remember there were just points where I got stuck in these cycles where I'm like writing words going, but am I, like, is this who I am? Like, I don't know if I'm, I'm worthy of this. I'm like, I can't believe someone trusted me with, with writing a book. And one of the things that our publishing house does is once the manuscript is done, they send it out to certain people to endorse it. And so it is one of these surreal things when you put time and energy into something like this and you send it out to people and you go, Lord, please let them not give me a one star on Amazon review. And you get back some of these comments and you read them and you go, wow, these, these people actually liked this book. Wow, this meant something to them. And it starts testifying like about like, oh, wow, maybe like, am I an author? Like, and it's weird, like this weird thing in me because like, I don't really feel it, but sometimes maybe that's what these things are saying. And then uh, if you've met my wife, Chelsea, if you've been able to read, she's posted blogs and stuff over the years like, she is an, like a writer. Like it is a gift and a talent. I just word vomit onto a page and hope that it ends up working out. But there was something I wrote a while back and she looked at me and she goes, you know, you really have gotten better as a writer. Which seems a little backhanded because it's like I've written two books but now I wrote this blog post and you're going, you know, you've really grown up as a writer. <laughs> but it really meant a lot to me that with her gifts and her talents, she would say that about me. 
And maybe it's not writing for you. Maybe it's, you know, whatever your job is. Maybe a boss or a mentor, someone you looked up to came up to you and said, hey, you're really good at this. Maybe it was a friend who came over and saw something you had worked on in the house and said, wow, that really looks good. And they give this testimony to something in your life. Maybe it's another parent going, hey, like, your kid was great at our house today. But this testimony to something about who you are. For me, it was reading some of those comments from other people that I was like, man, maybe I can do this. It was my wife looking at me and going, you really are growing as a writer. That meant so much because it is that testimony of something we care about. I think we've all had those moments where someone has given us that testimony, that encouragement. As we look today at what John writes here in this chapter 5 of 1 John, it is a testimony about who Jesus is, but when he testifies to who Jesus is, it in turn gives testimony to who we are. It's that blurb in the front of the book. It's that kind word, but it's so much deeper than that. So what I want to do is I want to start a little bit with some historical context of of what kind of specifically John is writing about here because it it opens up the text some. And then I want to dive into this idea of the water, the blood, and the spirit and what the testimony of those two, those three things mean for us. So John, as he writes this passage, it's kind of fascinating that he would talk about the testimony of these three things, of the water, of the blood, and of the spirit. But he does that for a very specific reason. There is an ancient lie, an ancient heresy that we call Gnosticism. Now, I've talked about Gnosticism before. It's a lot of fun to say because there's a silent G. And how many things have a silent G? If you were to spell Gnosticism, it is G-N-O, not just N-O. So it's Gnosticism. It's a lot of fun. The best part of seminary. But Gnosticism, what it says is it takes the idea of Jesus, it takes who he is and it says, listen, yeah, sure, there's a man named Jesus in history, but he was a man. And then at his baptism, this universal Christ came upon him. And it's this spiritual thing that that happens and it's this universal thing. And so it comes upon him and then he becomes who we would say is Jesus who does miracles and does all of these things, but he is simply a man with this spiritual thing about him. And what it denies is the connection between physical and spiritual. It would say everything of the physical world is meant to be used and abused for our pleasure because the spiritual then is greater. And there are many lies that come out of this one But as John writes 1 John, he is speaking to people who have bought in to Gnosticism. They've bought into this idea that Jesus is like the gods of the day, that there was this man who was inhabited by a god instead of the Son of God incarnate as a baby. 
And we still deal with this stuff today. In fact, it was very much in the forefront of popular culture some years ago. The Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown's stuff is all Gnosticism. It's this idea that those things aren't that deeply interconnected, that the spiritual is separate from the physical. But when we look at the beginning, in the beginning when God creates, he looks at the physical, he looks at the spiritual, he looks at them intertwined and he says it is good. That those two things together are good. And so as John writes here and he says we see the testimony of the water and the blood. What he's saying is he is standing up immediately against this idea that at Jesus' baptism, that's when this weird God-man thing happened. He's saying, no, 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 no. The blood of Jesus that ran in his veins, that water that was poured over him, he is fully man, yet he is fully God. And that testifies to who he is. And in fact, he even has the Spirit who testifies with him. So what John does is he takes this idea and he says, listen, here's the testimony of these three things. And this is actually a legal argument as well. In that day, you had to have at least two witnesses to make in an actual testimony. It couldn't just be the word of one person. Is that still true today, Travis? You've got to have at least two. It's not true today. Travis, legal counsel on the front row. But back then, that was the big deal. You had to have two witnesses. So John kind of goes, listen, I don't have two. I have three. He adds on. He says, listen, it is the water of his baptism. It is the blood that runs through his veins and is shed for us. And it is the Holy Spirit testifying it is his baptism it is his life his death and his resurrection the testimony of three is greater even than two and it testifies to who jesus is as the messiah that he is flesh and blood and the spirit of god all in one this is a big deal c.s lewis would talk about it um he would say Jesus is either a lunatic or a liar, or he is actually Lord and the Savior of all. Either he's a lunatic, some crazy guy who says, I'm the son of God, and just runs around the countryside proclaiming that. He's a con man, a liar, who's just out to grift people and make a buck, or he actually is who he says he is. So if we, as people who follow him, claim that, then we say he is Lord. He's not the lunatic. He is not the liar. So as John writes this to a people who are struggling in the early throes of the church to understand what this means. Like, I am grateful that we have some history between us and Jesus. Like, there, there are some huge, incredible benefits to, like, having been in the early church, like, you know, you could have actually seen Jesus, kind of a big deal. But also, we, we get all the kind of human problems that mix in that people then can talk about and find answers for. 
Because it seems strange that we would say, yes, I'm a physical person, but I am also spiritual. In fact, when we look again back in the beginning, when Jesus talks about, or when Genesis writes and says, you know, Adam is dirt and then God breathes into him, that is the word for spirit. The breath of God is Adam's spirit. So that even as we draw breath and breathe it back out, that is a spiritual action as much as it is a physical action. So the testimony that we have of the water, the blood, and the Spirit is this testimony that Jesus is God incarnate, come for us, and that if He has come for us, then He is the God-man who was the Lord, who goes to the cross and dies and defeats death for us. And I don't know if modern day we have the exact same issue. I know out there, there is this, still this idea of the universal Christ. There's an idea of ascension, that the, you know, this, the spiritual plane is higher than the physical plane. Um, you know, all these kinds of things. But here's what I think is a more everyday kind of example for us. For us, our everyday example is wanting spiritual highs. We, we want the next mountaintop experience. We want God to step in and show us who he is over and over and over again. And sometimes we get so distracted looking for the spiritual high that we put that spiritualness above everything else. That we say, listen, I want to feel it. I want God to be here. I want all of those things right now. And you know what? Life is not like that. In fact, Jesus even makes an example of this when he takes disciples up to what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. He brings up some disciples with him. He is transformed into his brilliant self, and we see some other biblical characters with him. We see, you know, the voice of God, and Peter being just the perfect example of an everyday person goes, listen, this is awesome. Build the tents here. Like, we're just going to live here. This is great. And like Peter kind of gets crap because he's, he's the guy that always says the stupid thing. But in, in their day and age, they, they talked about the high places. That as you read scripture, sometimes it will talk about the high places. The high places were where you built temples. Think about it. The, the polytheistic religion of the day was Mount Olympus. You went up to the mountaintop because that's where God dwelt. And so Peter goes, listen, if this is where God is, let's stop here. Let's build a tent because you build a tent, then you build a temple. But Jesus looks at him and says, no, we can't stay here. Because it's a lot of fun when you get to see God in all his glory. It's a lot less fun when you have to walk with God through the mud and in the valley and with real people. Sometimes we get so focused on saying, I want my next spiritual high. We forget that God is just as much the God of spiritual enlightenment and experience as he is the God of the dirty dishes. As he is the God of dirty diapers, as he's the God of broken cars, as he's the God 
of homework as he's the God of making sure dinner's ready. The confession and testimony of the water, the blood, and the spirit is that if God is who he says he is, if these three things testify to that, then he is the God of every day as much as he is the God of the extraordinary. Because you see, the water of baptism testifies who he is, that he has the power of that, that then in our baptisms, that water testifies that we are claimed. Simple water is God's work in saying, are you afraid that I'm going to leave you behind? Well, in this water, I promise and I seal and I say that you will not be left behind. That it is my promise in this water for you. In the blood, we see the testimony of Jesus and who he is, that he would be the Messiah, that he is both man and God, all combined into one, not one greater than the other, not spiritual over physical or physical over spiritual, but he is the perfect combination of what God intended his creation to be. And in his blood, he says that relationship, that perfect relationship that I had with my creation before the fall in the garden, in my blood, I will renew that. That the perfect blood of Jesus flows for us to renew that right relationship between us and God. It is not about what we do. It is that that blood would flow for us. You see, the Spirit is the testimony of a life that's to come. Jesus would say, I'm going to send a helper to you. After the resurrection, when he comes back to his disciples, he looks at them and he says, listen, I'm going to give you this helper, which is the Holy Spirit. His testimony is that he can say, it's coming. That it is after his resurrection, when he defeats death, he says, this is a gift for you. And the Spirit is the testimony for us that God is not done with who we are. Whether it is on the mountaintop or in the deepest valley, he says, my spirit is with you. Whatever joys and whatever struggles, he says, I walk beside you. These three things testify who I am, that I am the Lord, I am the Messiah, I have come for you, but they also testify that you are mine. And the Spirit testifies not only to who Jesus is, but he testifies to us that we belong to Jesus. That as we look at our life, as we figure out who we are on a daily basis, these three things testify in our life, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. They work out to show us whose we are. As we've talked about light and love over the past five, six weeks, this is what those things testify to. That in the midst of a world that seems like it's spinning out of control and right into the darkness, 
there is testimony of who the Savior is and that he brings light to us. There is testimony about whose we are and what he has called us to do. And it is light and it is love. It is light into the world. It is love for our neighbor. But these things testify for us that Jesus is at work, that you are his through the waters of baptism, through the blood that was shed for you, and the Spirit is constantly with you saying, you belong to him. Whether you are experiencing it at a retreat and you say, how can anyone not know who God is, or you are scrubbing that dish that you go, Lord, why did you even create oatmeal? That we have a God of the ordinary and the extraordinary, and he testifies to us at all times. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that as your people, we can continue to follow after you. Lord, let the testimony of our baptism remind us when we are afraid that you have claimed us, we belong to you. Lord, we give you thanks for the blood that would testify to our redemption. And Lord, may the Spirit be at work in our lives to convict us, to reassure us, to call us forward. Lord, we pray all these things in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.